there is uh, a, probably a pretty broad range of what freedom might mean to you. Um, I think that freedom was a pretty common statement growing up about America is, you know, like the land of freedom, right? And, the, the, you know, and, and really that essentially means I think it was like more of our system of government around democracy that we have a, a say, we have an ability to make our own path and to make our own way. And so I think that that, that is a, a type of freedom. Uh, I think for other people, freedom just means the ability to make what you want out of your life, right? Like nobody can tell you what to do. You get to decide. You have the freedom to move to this city or go to that city to, to pursue this type of job or that type of job, to have this type of relationship or that type of relationship. Like you have the freedom to make choices for yourself. You have choices. You have this uh, independence Right, it's not dependent upon other people, not dependent upon, uh, and and our situation in America is that we're allowed to do that. That that could be a, a way we think about freedom. Um, but when you really think about it, we we are kind of uh, the the Bible takes a little bit different approach than than, than that, um, and I think that though we all think that we're like just abundantly free and we're independent and we're uh, these people that have all this ability to kind of uh, make our own path, we are uh, creatures of our culture, are we not? Uh, creatures of our friends, of our community, of others. Even though we think that we're extremely individualistic, we're typically uh, not as much as we'd like to be. I was reminded of this the other day. Um, Maze is playing uh, video games on a computer with his friends. And uh, all of a sudden, my 10-year-old's voice and the way he talked completely changed. I've never heard him say dude once in his life. And I heard him say it 25 times in the next like 10 minutes. Dude, dude, bro, bro, you can't do that over here. Come on, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing, dude? You know? <laughs> And I was like, what in the world just happened? <laughs> so we are conditioned by our friendships and our culture and our history. But I do think that the, the, uh, the, the Bible thinks about freedom in, in a different way. And it has to do mainly as to what do we worship, right? What are we controlled by? What are we enslaved to? And that may sound like a very strange idea, but the Bible kind of has this picture that everybody worships, everybody is committed to, everybody is in a, in a way enslaved to something. You, you're not just free to be, uh, you know, your own self and to do whatever you want to do. You are controlled, you are, con you know, kept by something. And I kind of um, go back and forth between these two different realities for myself when it comes uh, to freedom. I often feel like I am enslaved to my sin, to my desires, to my addictions, to my culture, and I struggle to believe that I'm actually free in Christ. That's, that is like one way in which I turn. And then the other thing that I do, and see if you can relate to this, is that other times of my life, I actually believe that I am free, but I'm actually living very enslaved. 
And so I want to talk about those two kind of dynamics and what the Bible actually says about those things. What are we talking about when we talk about freedom, not necessarily what our culture would mean when they're talking about freedom, which I think generally just means independence. The scriptures speak of Jesus' life and work accomplishing a a number of things. We're going to focus on three of them today that are the result of, of the atonement. So I want, I want to read these four passages or five passages, and I want you at the end of it to shout out what are we free from based off of these passages, okay? All right. I'll tell you when to shout them out. Don't start too early. Some of you all get your phones going off and yelling. So, you know. All right, here we go. Romans 6, 5 and 7. For we have been united with him in his death In a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Number two, Romans 6.14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6.18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Romans 8, 12, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Hebrews 2, 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, talking about Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So what are three things that were said that we are free from as a result of Jesus' atoning death on the cross? Sin. That was a common one, right? I got three or four of them in there for that one. Sin. Death. Meaning that we're not, it's not that we're not going to die, it's that we will be resurrected, right? Jesus defeats death. And what's the third one? This is for those who are really looking... Satan. If you've been around here, I say that a lot. Free from sin, death, and Satan. That's what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. Satan no longer has dominion over us. Sin no longer has its shackles on us. So this is the reality. It's not that we don't sin. It's that sin has no power over us. It's not that Satan isn't active in the world. It's that Satan has no dominion, no no authority over us. It's not that we don't die. It's that death is not the end of the story, that we will be raised to life. Do we believe this? I think that there's a really important test. I was was talking to our staff on Tuesday. They asked me to lead us through this prayer time. And and I was thinking about um, this idea of of going to God and having this, this intimacy with God and having this relationship with God and believing that we are uh, we have this assurance of salvation, right? Assurance of faith, assurance of freedom from sin. And I think a, a really clear sign to whether or not you believe that is not really if you show up to church on Sunday, though that could be part of it. It's whether when you sin, how quickly are you willing to enter back into the presence of God? When I was um, an early Christian and, and still even now, it's, I, I remember being stricken by guilt. Like, 
I would make, uh, I, I, you know, when you first become a Christian, you're very sensitive to sin. I wish I felt that same sensitivity now in, in many ways. Uh, now it's just become, oh, it's whatever, right? But you feel this deep, deep pain when, when you sin because you had given your whole life to Christ. And, and I remember it being absolutely painful after committing that sin to be able to sit, like to enter back into that relationship with the Holy Spirit, to live like fully by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life because I felt so much guilt. I felt so much shame. And sometimes I think that guilt is a good thing. It prods us towards repentance if it's doing the, the right job. Most of the time it just makes us feel guilty and leads us away from, <laughs> leads us away from, from God. And a telltale sign of your, like, of your belief that you are free that you have been forgiven, that you have been set free from the power of sin and Satan and death, that you have been forgiven truly of those sins, is whether or not you will run back to God in the midst of your sin and pain. And I think it's so hard for us to understand um, because so many of our other relationships in our lives are conditional, right? Right? Even our spouses are like, you hurt your spouse and you're like, okay, I need to go uh, back and make things right. And they're like, all right, give me a minute, right? Like, I'm not ready <laughs> to fix this yet. You're going to need to give me at least 20, maybe a couple days before I'm willing to just forgive, right? Uh, our friendships, right? We wrong people. And we typically need to give space and time. We need to almost earn back that person's trust, earn back that person's favor so that they will forgive you, so that they'll think that you're trustworthy again, so that they'll think that you are worthy of the friendship that you had before. Your coworkers are the same way, right? You let them down. They're probably going to look to somebody else to do the next assignment, right? You've got to prove to them once again. And so in every other relationship in our lives, uh, it, it typically is one of those that requires some sort of action on your part, earning back favor, giving that person space and time. And that's probably a good thing. Right? I don't think most of you should just be, you know, but God is not, uh, is, is not lacking in some sort of... Um, I don't know, courage to stand up for himself. <laughs> he's not, you know, just going to get stomped on. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you can immediately, seconds after whatever you've done that's wrong, you can run back to the Lord and receive forgiveness and his mercy. It's a pretty astounding thing and a remarkable thing. And so I, I, I want to remind us that, that this is what it says that we are free from, sin and death and Satan. And that we are given the full armor of God to resist evil and sin and it has no longer has dominion over us. But there's more than just that. Part two is that, uh, is that we actually get more than just freedom, we get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I want to read to you today um, from Ephesians 1, verses 3, and then verses 14b and, uh, through 14. This is just a, 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 and I'm going to read a little bit more of this passage as well. Ephesians 1 is going to be kind of where we land here the rest of the, the time. This is what Paul writes. Paul writes, 
He goes through all these things that we've attained through Christ, but there's one that I want to focus on, and that's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Saying that we are marked in him and we, uh, with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, well, what does the Holy Spirit do? Like, what does that mean? That we're, okay, we have the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? He goes on to explain it more in verses 15 through 20. What does the Spirit do? This is what it says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This is an astonishing passage. It's powerful because you're not just set free from something and saying, hey, Joe Schmo, now you've got to like follow God by your own strength and by your own power. No, you've been set free from the enslavement of sin and death and Satan. And now you've been given the Holy Spirit in order to live a life that pleases God. So the Spirit says in this passage that gives wisdom, revelation, and enlightenment. Three of the things that are given. Wisdom, revelation, and enlightenment. So that we may know God better. So that we may have hope. So that we know the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power to those who believe. So what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? What changes what does the freedom that we have in Christ result in? It means that we will know what God is like. We will be free from our, our lack of understanding to knowing more and more and more and more and more about God. The second thing, well, that's pretty cool. That's a good one. Uh, and so I think that what happens, I, I would just say this quickly on that one. Uh, uh, free from a lack of understanding, enlightened to what God is like. I really believe that this is more than just like a description of God. Does that make sense? It's not just knowing stuff. And I think that's part of the problem why so many people are walking away from faith is that they've, they got really good at being told the stuff they're supposed to know and they've never had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be focused just as much on knowing stuff, but probably even more so on encountering. An intimacy with God. And so when God, or when Paul talks about us knowing Christ, he's not just talking about knowing information. He's actually about having a relationship with 
The second thing we see is this freedom from a hopelessness. That is so powerful. I, don't, I can't tell you how many people I know that are just completely hopeless. I mean, they go about their lives fine. They're, they're, they're not um, necessarily angry. They're not necessarily disappointed. They're not necessarily uh, disillusioned. They're just hopeless. <laughs> they just, they're just living their lives. They're just doing whatever they do. But when we have real hope, hope in Christ, and the reality that we've been redeemed and that Christ is coming again and all things are going to be made new, it changes our expectations, it changes our disp- disposition, it changes our reactions to situations. I mean, Paul talks about this throughout his writings. He says, uh, we mourn when people die, but we don't mourn like other people, right? I think the third thing uh, is that we f- we're free from, from a kind of a lacking mentality, always lacking. Uh, I don't love this term, but we, we live in our lives in kind of this poverty mentality, so there's only so much to go around. I have to hold on to my stuff for my own safety. What if I don't have enough? What if I run out of money? And I think Jesus just might say, do you realize that you have an inheritance that will never spoil and never fade? And so though you may not know where your next meal is necessarily coming from, and that is a scary thing, you have all the inheritance of heaven. And I think the last thing is, um, I think there's a, there's a free, we're free from powerlessness. I think so many of us, even though we, we talk about being strong and powerful and independent, I think so many of us feel powerless. That we really have no control over what happens to us. We feel powerless to resist sin. We feel, we, we, we feel powerless to resist those uh, addictions and those things that just lay hold of our, our lives. We feel powerless to change um, our friend groups or the people that influence us. And this, I mean, there may not be no crazier statement in all of the scriptures than what Paul basically says is, is that uh, we have power from the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now given to us. Amen. And so I want to, um, I think, use this like in a, just a kind of a practical way, if I can. What does the Holy Spirit do uh, when we're living in fear. I, I think there are a lot of us um, that constantly live in fear. Like if we really got down to it, maybe our fear is that we're going to do the wrong thing. Our fear is that we're not going to be needed. Our fear could be that we're not going to be successful. Our fear is that we're not going to matter or we don't, uh, our fear of pain or our fear of lack of control or a fear that our, our kids aren't going to turn out right or a fear that we're going to be abandoned by our spouse or a fear that we're going to be fired or, fear, you know, like there's just so many things that we can be afraid of. And I think that uh, fear expresses itself in anxiety and depression. And, and believe me, I know those things are very, very complicated. I'm not here to like solve that problem. But I do think that um, what 
Holy Spirit does is allows us to not fix our minds so much on trying to like not be fearful. You know how like sometimes when you have a problem, you think about it all the time, you worry about it all the time, you obsess over all, and you actually exalt that thing and it actually makes it worse. And so I think that what God calls us to in some ways as a means to uh, move away from fears, maybe a way I would say it, is to, to fix our attention on, on Christ. To set our hearts on being the reality of being loved by the Father. And when we see that perfect love, that's not just a, a concept, but it's an actual encounter, I think that our fear will begin to dissipate some. I just think people are dying for an encounter with God. And so when we move our, our, our concern and all of our stuff on whatever's bothering us, whatever fear we have, or whatever concern or worry that we have in our lives, and we focus on having this encounter with the living God who pours out his love for us, it starts to recalibrate those parts of our lives. It begins to cast out our fear as we experience more of it. And it's not like we're like achieving something. We're just being in the presence of God. It's not uh, based off of effort. It's just experiencing the grace of the Father. And I think that that will impact so many of the fears that we have in our lives. Um, I can't remember if it was uh, Tozer or somebody else uh, that, that, or maybe it was Eugene Pearson, I can't really remember, but he talks about how so often um, we focus on trying to get in a, a, a place where we're ready to worship God and then, and then we go worship, right? So we like try to muster up this desire in our hearts to come and, and worship, whether it's singing or come to church or uh, praying or, 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 you know, sitting in silence and, and listening to God. It's like we're, we're trying to create this desire so that we'll do these things. And one of the things that I've learned is that actually entering into like part of worship is not so much of you trying to cultivate this desire to worship and like the, this like wanting to, is that like in the midst of worship, you, you actually come here not wanting to be here, right? Or go into your room and shut the door, not wanting to be there at all. Or you go on a walk and you're very much interested in listening to a podcast that would keep you more distracted than whatever else. And it's like in the midst of being and putting yourself in worship, that's when the Holy Spirit will begin to open up your heart and open up your mind and, and, and really like you, you want to, like you'll, you'll recognize this reality of the love of God more profoundly. You'll experience the Holy Spirit in your life and the power of God. And so it's not so much you earning like this, like or, or mustering up some sort of worship for God. It's that in these moments when we are going to sing or in these moments when we hear God's word, even when we don't want to do it, that's sometimes when the Holy Spirit will lead us into worship. Will create a desire for us 
to worship and begin to calm those fears that so easily entangle us.